Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a pale L. What are you having, Jenny? I'm drinking a vodka soda. On this week's episode, we're exploring the life and crimes of infamous serial killer Eileen Warnos. As a warning, this episode will feature lots of talk of rape and child sexual abuse. Eileen Lee Warnos was born on February 29th 1956 in Rochester, Michigan. Warnos had a difficult childhood to say the least. Her mother, Diane Warnos, was a teenager when she gave birth to Eileen and later abandoned her and her older brother Keith, leaving them to be raised with their grandparents. Eileen's grandmother was an alleged alcoholic and her grandfather was extremely violent with her and her brother, often beating her with a belt. Warnos's father, Dale Pittman, was incarcerated for child molestation when Eileen was born. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia later in his life and ultimately died by suicide in his jail cell when Eileen was a child. Warnos's trauma continued into her teen years. She claimed to have been sexually abused by her grandfather. Then at age 14, she alleged she was raped by a friend of her grandfather's and became pregnant. She gave birth to a baby boy who was given up for adoption. She's also claimed to have had a sexual relationship with her brother, Keith. Her grandfather kicked her out of their home not long after she gave birth, and she resorted to living in the woods. She led a transient lifestyle throughout her life and faced various run-ins with the law. She began working as a sex worker at 15 years old. In 1976, she married wealthy 69-year-old yacht club owner, Louis Fell. However, their marriage did not last for long. Fell annulled their marriage shortly after their wedding after Eileen had been arrested for assaulting a bartender. Hull also filed a restraining order against Warnos, claiming she would beat him with his cane. He's also said that Warnos squandered his money. Following the divorce, Warnos moved back to Michigan, and her brother eventually passed away from cancer, leaving her $10,000 in life insurance. She used the money to pay a DUI fine and buy herself a luxury car, which she crashed shortly after purchasing it. Warnos returned to Florida and was in and out of jail for the next several years. In 1986, 30-year-old Warnos met 24-year-old hotel maid Tyra Moore at a gay bar in Daytona Beach, Florida. The pair began an intense romantic relationship until the time of her death, Warnos claimed to have loved Moore. They moved in together and lived off Warnos' earnings as a sex worker. Over a 12-month period, beginning in November 1989, Warnos murdered seven male clients while engaging in sex work. According to Florida's News Channel 8, her modus operandi was to approach unsuspecting men under the guise of needing a ride or offering sex for money before robbing and shooting them to death with a 22 caliber pistol she kept in her purse. Her first victim was 51-year-old Richard Mallory. On November 30th, 1989, Mallory picked up Warnos on his way home from work. She would later claim in court that Mallory, who had a history of sexual violence, had brutally beaten and raped her, thus killing him in self-defense. The following day, Mallory's car with some of his belongings was found was found in Ormond Beach, Florida. His body was discovered two weeks later in Daytona Beach, Florida. Her other victims included Dick Humphreys, Troy Burris, David Spears, Walter Gino Antonio, Peter Sims, and Charles Carscotton. According to the Clark County Prosecutor, items belonging to Mallory and Antonio were pawned near Daytona Beach, and the alias names used were traced to Warnos and Moore through thumbprints left on the pawn shop cards and palm prints 
left in the crashed vehicle of Peter Sims. Sims's body has still never been found. On January 9, 1991, Warnos was arrested for Richard Mallory's murder at the Last Resort Bar in Port Orange, Florida, and Moore was found in Stratton, Pennsylvania. Moore told police she had known about the murder since, quote, Lee had come home with Richard Mallory's Cadillac, end quote. She claimed that Warnos confessed that she had killed a man that day, and that Moore had told Warnos that she, quote, didn't want to hear about it, end quote. In exchange for immunity, Moore agreed to help the police get a confession from Eileen. During a recorded phone conversation, Warnos admitted to killing six men and said that Moore was completely innocent. She again confessed to the murders during a police interrogation. While in jail awaiting trial, Warnos was legally adopted by a Christian couple, Arlene and Richard Prowl. Arlene said, quote, The reason we did it is we want her to know what it feels like to have a family that really cares about her, end quote. The Prowls remained close to Eileen throughout the rest of her life. Warnos's trial for the killing of Richard Mallory began in January 1992. During the trial, Moore testified saying that Warnos didn't seem very upset when she told her about Mallory's death. A dozen other men also came forward to speak of their encounters with Warnos. A Florida law known as the Williams Rule allowed information about the other killings to be presented to the jury since it showed a pattern of Warnos's alleged behavior. However, Mallory's history of sexual violence was not presented to the jury. Both of these factors made Warnos's claim of self-defense less believable. At trial, a tape confession played for the jury in which Warnos said, quote, I took a life. I am willing to give up my life because I kill people. I deserve to die, end quote. Her public defender did not want her to stand trial, but Warnos wanted to tell her story. This turned out to be disastrous as Warnos became irate during her cross-examination. She was the only defense witness. On January 27th, the jury returned with their verdict after only two hours of deliberating. They found Warnos guilty of first-degree murder. As the jury left the courtroom, Warnos yelled, quote, I'm innocent, I was raped, I hope you get raped, scumbags of America, end quote. The death penalty phase of her trial began the following day. Expert witnesses for the defense testified that Warnos was mentally ill, that she suffered from borderline personality disorder, and that her tumultuous upbringing had stunted and ruined her. One of her public defenders called Warnos, quote, a damaged primitive child, end quote. Despite their attempts to spare Warnos's life, jurors recommended she be put to death, and on January 31st, the presiding judge sentenced Warnos to death. She was later sentenced to death five more times. She was executed by lethal injection on October 9th, 2002. Eileen's last words were, quote, Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with a rock and I'll be back, like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all, I'll be back, I'll be back, end quote. She was the 10th woman in the U.S. and the second in Florida to be executed after the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Many people agree that Eileen's trauma played a major role in her life of crime, but some aren't so quick to sympathize with her. Let's look into why people think she's a monster and why some call her a tragic victim and then we'll share our thoughts. So as for why people think she's a victim, 
During her confession to police, Ornos asserted that nothing was her fault, not the murders, and not any circumstance that led her down a lifelong criminal path. She initially claimed all the killings were done in self-defense and that each victim had either assaulted her, threatened her, or raped her. Eileen had been raped several times in the past few years, she claimed, and had had enough. When each of her victims became aggressive, she killed out of fear. Like we said, Eileen was essentially a lifelong sex worker, and sex work can be a very dangerous job. Some statistics show that the death rate for prostitutes in the U.S. is 204 out of every 100,000. And globally, sex workers have a 45 to 75 percent chance of facing sexual violence on their job. And sex workers are often targeted because they run the risk of being arrested if they report any type of violence to the police. Some groups support Eileen's claim of self-defense because she had been picked up by many other men during the period from 1989 to 1990 and she did not harm them. Several men have testified that they spent days or weeks with her and she never threatened them, but they did say that she was worried that they would attack her. There's evidence that Eileen did not receive a fair trial or a fair sentence as well. The version of her confession tape that was shown to the jury did not include any of the 60 times that she stated that she killed in self-defense. Another aspect that people wish was included to the jury is Mallory's history of sexual violence. Her trial attorneys failed to interview and failed to call several witnesses who had volunteered information which corroborated Eileen's testimony. Her trial attorneys delayed in researching evidence of Mallory's history of violence against women. The judge then ruled it inadmissible because it was introduced too late. Private attorney Stephen Glazer encouraged Warnos to plead no contest to five murder charges without securing a sentencing offer or informing her of all of her options so people like to say that she did not have the best representation. Many feel that Eileen faced prejudice from law enforcement, the prosecution, and the jury due to her sexuality and status as a sex worker. Her romantic relationships with women were brought up by prosecutors. Though Eileen never identified as a lesbian, she was painted as a man-hating lesbian killer in court. I also wanted to mention that the death penalty is often cited as being homophobic since it is discriminatorily used against LGBT defendants. And as I had said, sex work is a dangerous field, but the general public in the 90s would likely have had a hard time believing that a prostitute would have had to kill in self-defense six times, especially in a short period of time like that as well. A group demanding equal justice for Eileen brought up the case of a California store owner that was never charged after killing five robbers in self-defense during four different armed robbery attempts. And that same group also noted that women serve longer terms for killing their male abusers compared to men who kill their female partners. Finally, there is evidence that the Volusia County Sheriff deputies negotiated contracts for book and movie deals about Warnos' case before she was even arrested. Officer Brian Jarvis, initially the chief investigator on the case, was removed from the case when he questioned the conduct of his colleagues. He later reported vandalism to his house, theft of his records on the case, and threats against him and his family. So now we're going to look into why people consider Eileen Warnos to be a monster. Until her final years on death row, Eileen showed little remorse for her crimes. Though she did confess to the murders, she would go back and forth on her responsibility and accountability for the crime. Like we said a few moments ago, Eileen essentially blamed society and her victims for her criminal behavior. She was rude to the jury and to judges. 
Like we stated, Eileen would often curse and yell vile statements at the jury and judges in her trials and hearings. Some people would argue that this is Eileen's true personality. She did have a history of violence with her ex-husband and a history of committing other crimes. Many would say that this shows that Eileen was building up to murder. Other things that people point out is that she would change her story many times and it appeared that she changed certain details to fit her defense and make herself look more sympathetic. Sometimes it even seemed like she was making things up on the spot. At first, she told authorities that all the men either raped or attempted to rape her. During another hearing, she backtracked and said that Mallory was the only victim to actually rape her. It's difficult to know what exactly to believe. Leading up to her execution, she told filmmaker Nick Broomfield that none of the seven murders were done in self-defense but in cold blood. She also said that she had planned on killing those men once they picked her up and that she enjoyed robbing and killed more for that than a thrill. Broomfield did question whether Eileen changed her story so many times so that she could end her life and be sentenced to death to which she disagreed. So after all of this and doing our research, what are your thoughts on Eileen and I guess her claims of self-defense and her story? I do not think that Eileen killed in self-defense. Her behavior during and after the murder do not speak uh, to someone who was defending their life. For example, she never called the police to report the murder or the alleged crime committed against her. Also, how many times can someone reasonably use the self-defense? This wasn't one or two murders. She killed seven men. While I have sympathy for her troubled childhood, that is no excuse for the crimes that she committed and the families that she hurt by murdering their loved ones. I also don't think it's okay to bring up a victim's history in order to mitigate the guilt of their murderer. We don't think it's okay when it's a female victim and that same mentality should apply to male victims. I am not saying her victims were perfect people, but it is a common saying in criminal prosecutions that you don't get to pick your victims. And so I truly believe that Eileen was a cold-blooded murderer. Like I said before, yes, her childhood is tragic and we should, as a society, do everything that we can to prevent the things that happen to her from happening to other children. And we also need to work to increase the safety measures that are available to sex workers. While I'm not against sex work, I do think we need to find a different environment for them to engage in that work to help make it safer. And we also need to change the laws so that they don't feel afraid to go to the police when something happens to them. It's been a recurring theme that sex workers are often the targets of serial killers just based on the fact that the wider society doesn't value their lives as much as they value the lives of non-sex workers. And the police fall into that as well, where the common belief is that the police are not going to work as hard because they were looking for it. They deserved it. But again, all of that doesn't minimize what Eileen did. Eileen killed seven men, and I think that she knew what she was doing. I think that she liked it. I don't think that her victimhood as a child diminishes her responsibilities as an adult. What do you think? I have some similar and differing thoughts. So I think she is both a monster and a victim. She clearly should have been in jail for her actions, and she herself said that she would kill again. 
So her past doesn't excuse her actions. And I do think that this is a case where Eileen is a product of her upbringing and that she was made into a killer rather than someone that was just born an evil, bad person. I don't really know what to believe with her. I guess you can't really trust a killer like that. But I can see so many different scenarios being true. I can see that at least one of the murders was done in self-defense. I can see all of them being someone that Eileen targeted or she just decided to kill. Richard Mallory had a Cadillac, which is a pretty nice car. Maybe some of the other people when they pulled over, they had like nice watches or jewelry or something that maybe Eileen noticed and that made her want to kill them. And I can even see her being so paranoid of being hurt that she attacked these men when they really had no intention of hurting her. But we did say that towards the end of her life, she said that she was lying about everything. So I think I am inclined to most believe that because it was toward the end of her life. And to me, she seemed to really make peace with her crimes. In that interview with Nick Broomfield, she did say she felt sorry for the victim's families and for what she had done. So I would like to believe that, you know, maybe that time in prison gave her some time to think about things. Like we said, sex work is a really dangerous job and a dangerous field to be in and the public at large doesn't understand that. So I do understand why she wouldn't have gone to the police if someone did assault or attack her in any way because she probably would have ended up in jail, especially because she had such a long rap sheet too. The police were familiar with her. I don't know if they would have believed everything that she had said, but I definitely agree, Del. Things need to be put in place to make sex work safer because how many times on this podcast alone, and if you're a true crime person, how many cases are there where sex workers were targeted because no one would look for them? One of the unique aspects of this case is the fact that Eileen was a female and Eileen earned the nickname as the first female serial killer, even though other female serial killers had come before her. Some groups even argue that Eileen is not a serial killer because they claim that she killed in self-defense while true serial killers do not kill in moments of fear. Since female serial killers aren't common, or at least not reported on often, her case drew tons of media attention. According to researchers, some stereotypes of female killers include killing acquaintances and people who surround them, including their children. Women killers are often caregivers and are well-educated. A majority work in healthcare and kill with less violent means like poisoning. Women killers also typically do not discriminate based on gender and will kill both men and women. So I'm sure based off of those traits, you can tell that Eileen was very different from other female serial killers. She dropped out of school at a very young age. She killed only men that were strangers to her. And she used a weapon, a 22 caliber pistol that she kept in her purse. So therefore she killed in a much more violent way. She killed her victims outdoors and outside of her birthplace, while other women killers tend to stay in one place or kill within their home. And depending on how you view Warnos, she may have killed for financial gain, which is a common trait of female serial killers. Because of these differences, some say Eileen had a more quote-unquote masculine style of killing, which likely played a part in the media's interest in her. Research has shown that developmental factors, including abuse, alcoholic parents, becoming pregnant at a very young age, and childhood illness or injury can play a role in a female killer's pathologies. 
as we said at the beginning of this episode, Eileen faced abuse, lived with an adult who suffered from alcoholism, and became pregnant as a teenager. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about Eileen Warnos. Is she a victim? Is she a monster? Is she both? You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on Mary Kay Letourneau. As always, stay safe.